Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today we're going to do a little breastfeeding and we're going to do a little bit beyond. My guest today is Nancy Williams. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Nancy, can you give us just a couple of sentences about your background and uh, just help listeners to know where you're coming from? I've been providing help for breastfeeding families for over 40 years, and I am an international board-certified lactation consultant. My second career, which I began in the early 90s is that of a marriage and family therapist. And I love the wedding between perinatal issues and uh, family therapy issues. And Mm. uh, it's my passion in life now. As well as Nancy is just plain an expert on these issues. So, Nancy, I invited you on the show today to talk about actually This happened because uh, Tracy Castles, who has been my guest on uh, at least a couple of shows, mentioned sensory processing disorders. Mm -hmm. And in my interview with Tracy, I said, sensory what? And she kind of politely said, oh, Marie, that's a that's a that's a whole other topic for a different day (laughs) and so I thought okay great so could you tell us please first of all what is sensory processing and then what is sensory processing disorder sensory processing is what our brain does all the time when we have an exposure to some kind of stimulus, usually stimuli, it's usually more than one at a time, and our brain tries to make sense of it. For instance, we hear a sound and our brain tells us that we enjoy that music or it tells Mm. us that we can't stand that sound and we've got to cover our ears and get away from it. Um, And of course, this is going on constantly in a given uh, day and even during the night while we sleep, although less so, of course. Uh So sensory processing is just our brain's way of trying to make sense of our environment and how it impacts us. So, Nancy, we have five senses, yes? Yes, we we have near and far senses. So we've got the five that everybody has heard about. Right. Um, those are the far senses. And then the near senses would be balance and movement, vestibular, which happens in the inner ear, our skin, our tactile sense, and then joint and muscles, which is called proprioceptive senses. So these, I guess these would be the near senses, right? 
Yes, and the four senses are the ones that everybody knows about. Sight, smell, and, and so forth, right. Hearing, touch, and taste, yes. So are you telling me then that these five plus three senses... Plus four. We, plus yeah. four? Yes. Oh, I missed one, Nancy. Balance and movement. Got that, okay. Vestibular. Vestibular. Tactile. Okay, and proprioception. Okay, got it. Alrighty. So I think you're saying to me that all of us, if we are neurologically put together correctly, we all can perceive these things, but somehow it is the processing or the, I'm probably going to use the wrong word, does it integrate into the brain? Yes. Well, the brain integrates those senses, I think would be more accurate. Okay. Uh, When the near and far are working together, it helps us to kind of know where we are in the world. Uh, Each of us has this kind of primal terror of falling off the earth or whatever. Um, And when we... Our near and far senses are responsive to each other, then we discriminate and modulate the input that comes into the brain. And so if we're not quite responsive enough, um, if, if things are not working right on that end, we may crave stimuli and do kinds of things like crashing behaviors, uh, babies might bang their heads against the wall, things like that, trying to create stimulus because the brain is not responding properly to existing stimuli. Stimuli. If we're hyper-responsive, if if we respond too sensitively to the environment, then we will withdraw from what is going on. And so you see people shut down and you see babies who who just can't quite get with the breastfeeding or with the other normal behaviors. So what, what the near and far working together do is they balance how we how our brain defends and responds to stimuli so that we can get to being okay and nancy it is my sort of basic understanding that a baby or i presume an adult could be on either end of this spectrum that this yes. is a range right yes it's a so, continuum okay so they could be very, very overly sensitive or perhaps not sensitive enough. That's pro- probably not the right word, but in other words, their reaction might be very exaggerated or might be under-exaggerated. Am I right? Correct. Okay. So then, how, and I, I want to move on to, well, let me go go here first. What is sensory modulating disorder? Well, that's kind of what we've just been talking about. That's when we're not modulating properly. We're not dealing with things properly. Um, It would be another word for the same thing. I see. I see. Okay. 
So are there certain things that seem to cause this or is the baby just born with it? I will tell you that something that has always bothered me having worked labor and delivery is that I see so many times we've got all the bright lights and all of the noise and commotion and people walking around and so forth. I'm thinking if I were a baby and I just came out of a very calm environment, I would be asking myself, what kind of a world did I just enter? Here. Yes, um, that's the $64,000 question. Nobody knows for sure what the causes are. Okay. And it's, it's in, we know some things and we have theories about some of it, but nobody knows for sure. It does seem to have a genetic component. Um, mm. Some families seem to be more susceptible than others. Um, but Again, that's theoretical at this point. I, If you don't mind, I'd like to back up a little oh, bit. Oh, sure. By um, all means, yes. When a baby is born, of course, they are unfortunately exposed to an awful lot of stimuli right at yes. the beginning. And it's probably very difficult for them to try to take in. Um And so they may struggle against it, they may withdraw, they may do all kinds of things. But then as as the baby adjusts to extrauterine life, people, parents, uh, medical people, educators are going to start looking for certain clues that the baby is developmentally on task. And so a lot of times... Even fairly early on, you can see some developmental delays, things Mm. like delay in language or speech, vision, um, motor skills, social and emotional skills, and of course, cognitive skills. If a child has a lot of these, that's called a global delay, and With this, we, again, we don't always know the cause. Uh, It's important not to rush to any conclusions with a baby because they all grow and mature somewhat differently. And many babies who maybe start slow because they had a difficult birth or something Mm. like that Mm. um, Mm -hmm. may catch up in, in a very short time. Uh, so often they catch up long before they enter school, even before they enter preschool. Um, but some causes for delays would be a learning disability, abuse or neglect, um, problems with muscles, hearing loss, especially with a lot of ear infections and that Mm. sort of thing, Mm -hmm. um, medications, trauma, which includes birth trauma, but also trauma related to um, infancy early on. Uh, You know, the most likely, apart from abuse, would be some kind of medical trauma. Um, Genetic disorders, I've already mentioned. And then the whole group of what used to be called autism spectrum disorders And so developmental delays may or may not cross over with sensory processing problems. And 
And part of what professionals want to do is kind of tease that apart a little bit and try to figure out what we are dealing with, if if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. most, most medical people and some occupational therapists would say that you can't really diagnose much of any of this until the age of three years. I... I have to go with that because that's what the books say. (laughs) However, we can see early red flags in brand new babies. That's what I wondered. Yes. The most common one is a baby who can't nurse. Really? Yes. Babies... Babies are born to breastfeed. It's their genetic wiring and coding because for a jillion years, they wouldn't have survived if they couldn't nurse. I agree. And so if a baby can't breastfeed, we need to figure out why instead of just putting them on the bottle and calling it good. And some babies, especially with sensory problems, can't bottle feed either. I agree. Absolutely. So here we've got a baby who can't eat, which is, you know, this is survival we're talking about. So what's wrong that keeps him from being able to go to breast and get enough milk for his own survival? Something's really wrong there. So to me, that is the biggest red flag and the one that often gets ignored And, you know, honestly, people have asked me why we see more sensory problems now than we used to. And I think part of the reason is that back in the day, uh, babies were just put on bottles and that was that. And so we, we didn't realize that babies were struggling the way that we are aware of now. Nancy, when you, so first of all, let me clarify, you're saying that even though the books say that this cannot be diagnosed until the baby is, say, in the three years old neighborhood, yes. you you feel that the symptomatology, the, the cues that the baby displays can be during the newborn period, yes? Uh, yes. I okay. Think- Often that's where we see it for the first time. And of course, babies who have traumatic births, babies who are in the NICU, are likely to exhibit some sensory defensiveness where they Mm. kind of withdraw, they don't Mm -hmm. want to rest in their mouth, they don't want anything in their mouth because they had this tube shoved down their throat and it was painful and it made it hard to swallow and so forth. So a lot of times we'll see something there. Now, many, many, many babies just move past it and they're, they're sure. defensive for a little while until they heal up and, and then they're fine. They're fine. They move on. Yeah. But then there are these other babies that um, have a hard time moving. Nancy, uh, and for those of you who are listening, Nancy said uh, the babies with a traumatic birth and in the NICU. I agree with Nancy, but I want to clarify that babies can have a traumatic birth and not go to the NICU. Yes. (laughs) So I have been always very interested in, I have seen babies that sometimes 
I know what their labor and delivery was like because I was there. Mm-hmm. And they just seemed to not have it together. But of course, I didn't really know anything about this. I just know that trauma, when there's no other explanation, I have to wonder if these kids got traumatized in some way. Uh, can you address that? Are you talking about during labor or during the birth itself? During Well, especially for those kids that mother has been pushing for two or three or four hours or babies have had a forceps delivery or uh, babies have got a uh, cephal hematoma or some such thing like that. To me, that is evidence that they've had some sort of trauma. Do you think it's possible that it plays out with these sensory processing issues? Oh, absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. I'm thoroughly convinced of it. And sometimes I think we don't know. Um, there may not be anything visible, visible like visible. a hematoma. Yep. I agree. Other times uh, there are visible signs of trauma. And again, some of these babies do just fine afterwards and others do not and you know at any stage of the lifespan one woman's trauma is another woman's normal and it doesn't doesn't affect them the same way i would agree yeah so we don't know when we talk about trauma how something that looks traumatic might affect a given person Wow. Yeah, that is really insightful. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I am your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Nancy Williams. We are talking about sensory processing disorders. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Nancy Williams. We're talking about sensory processing. Nancy, before we uh, went to break, we were talking about the idea that a traumatic birth may be part of the explanation or maybe there is no easily identifiable explanation. But in any event, sensory processing somehow uh factors into what we see with breastfeeding difficulties. But I want to challenge you on this and say, well, Nancy, don't you think that there are some kids that just plain have a different problem? It is not at all related to sensory processing. How can you tell the difference between one group of babies who may have that and a a group that doesn't? You want to get the right kind of help for these babies. So, how can you how can you help people like me to know the difference? Oh, that's such a good question because there are many, many, many babies who have breastfeeding difficulties that yeah. have nothing to do with sensory issues, <laughs> right. at least as far as we know. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. So my experience is that a lot of it has to do with ruling things out. So you've you've checked for tongue tie, you've checked for lip tie, you've checked for you've done a good exam of the oral cavity, you've done a good breast exam. Um, basically, what I've kind of come to is you've done all the other things that usually you can find some kind of resolution to the breastfeeding problem, uh-huh. and um, you've ruled those out. And then it may be time to look for something else. Um, And there are a couple of things that are really unique here. One would be things like jaw clenching. Why is the baby clenching like this? Yeah, I've seen that many times. Yes, Um, that's not normal. And sometimes we see things like that related to tongue tie, but... You know, sometimes we just see them. I would agree. (laughs) And so something like that, where the behaviors at breast or in general are a little bit different than others. Um, A lot of these babies, 
let let me describe some of the baby's patterns apart from the breast. If the baby is hypo-responsive, and uh, these babies are often the ones that we call happy to starve. Oh, yeah. But they mm-hmm. just kind of lay there smiling at the world until they starve to death. Um, they They... Don't really ask much of the parents. They're these sweet, good babies. And the parents think they won the parenting lottery. This yes, is they do. The best baby ever. Only yes. problem is at the two-week check, the baby has lost a pound. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that that might very well be related to the baby just not asking to have his needs met. He's just not responsive to his environment or his own body. Um, Then on the other side, and I think this one is one that lactation consultants would probably hear more about because they're so hard for the parents, but this baby is never happy. He cries all the time when he goes to breast he fights he arches mm-hmm. he, chews, he um, clamps uh, he just is very very difficult to manage in general and at the breast now again you look at other things is is he colicky because that's sure. a whole separate issue right um, what else is going on in this baby's life but uh, well, and these, sometimes it's something really simple. He's arching because he needs to have a burp. But, sure. So, you know, we don't want to go overboard here with <laughs> thinking that it's something real far out because something that's real, uh, sometimes real simple. Right. It's the whole picture. Picture. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of these behaviors, then it's probably time to think about some other things. And of course, with many diagnoses and and we are not as lactation consultants i don't think we are equipped or qualified to diagnose absolutely not but we can be looking at it and maybe um seeking uh the help and companionship of an occupational therapist or somebody else but with a lot of these diagnoses you rule them out by treatment as well if One of the things that I always make a distinction between is good data gathering. Yes. And I think we all have a responsibility to do good, thorough, complete data gathering. But that is not a diagnosis. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it's also part of our job. If we can't get a baby to breast, we have to figure out why. Right, right. What's going on? Why is it that everything we've always done is not working for this baby? And I actually came to this information quite accidentally and with a lot of frustration when my sister had her first baby. And I had been helping breastfeeding moms for a long time, and I was pretty skilled at getting them to breast and um, helping mom to have a good supply and and all the things that lactation consultants do. Sure. And then my sister had her baby, and some of the most famous lactation consultants in the country tried to help her besides me, and we could not get that baby to nurse. Mm. And, mm. you know, we were doing all the right stuff. He never had bottles. He uh, Nothing. When he finally did go to breast... 
he hurt her so much because he clamped and clamped and clamped. And when he did nurse his, um, when he did actually suckle, his his suck was unusually strong and powerful. It was really different from other babies because I did digital assessments, of course. Yes. Yeah, on my finger, and it burned, and it oh, it was painful. And I take my finger out, and it was blanched white. And oh my, yeah, oh. it was really uncomfortable. So we got through him, and after two or three months, uh, she used to talk about going to nurse him as having to sit in the electric chair because oh, it was dear. so painful. And, of course, he would cry and she would cry and she didn't want to have to nurse him again, but she was very committed to breastfeeding, so she did. But after two or three months, it began to resolve, and he continued to be a very difficult child. I will never forget when he was a year old, they came to visit. And even though he was trying to attempt to walk a little bit and was certainly crawling, he sat on a blanket in the middle of my living room and all day would whine. Ah! 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 And it was crazy making, crazy making. Um, Oh, dear. And when we added solid foods, he uh, he would gag. He had terrible reflux um, with the addition of solid food and intractable constipation, which is really another, yes. This is another sign of sensory problems in an older baby. Um, of course, you don't see it in a breastfed baby because breastfed babies don't tend to get constipated. But as soon as you add solid food, you start to see it. So we went through all that with him. And then uh, the next baby, uh, same thing, except that we got to add terrible temper tantrums, terrible temper tantrums and I'll never forget going to the happiest place on earth Disneyland Uh and in the course of one day he must have had 13 horrible tantrums he would lay on the asphalt and scream and kick he'd cry when we'd get in line and then he'd adjust to that he'd cry when we'd get on the ride then he'd adjust to that in time to get off the ride so he'd start it all over again it was, oh, and he did this from the time he was about one to maybe three and a half years old. Um, and again, we were, he had the same breastfeeding problems as his brother. And then the third baby came, and this baby was hypo responsive. First mm. two were defensive, this one uh-huh. withdrew sweetest baby ever same breastfeeding problems though when that breast got in his mouth he just about killed my poor sister Um, but other than that sweet sweet baby who then would not crawl would not try to stand would not do anything so we now we had a developmental motor delay 
And that's when we found occupational therapy and we got a diagnosis for all the kids and so on. So that with the fourth baby, we did some preventative occupational therapy from birth. And she did much better with the breastfeeding. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't nearly as painful until she stopped doing all the OT and then the pain came. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So I learned about this from my nephews, who, by the way, are now successful adults, all of them, (laughs) and have outgrown most of it. Um, Although if you ask them, some of them will still describe struggling with some things in their environment, with certain textures, with loud noises, things like that. They seem to struggle more than the average person, whatever average is. Nancy, I'm thinking of a woman who is a grown-up. I would say she's 40 years old or so. And she told me about having custom earplugs so that when she was in a restaurant or here, there, or wherever that she could shut out all of the sound. And she told me that this made just a world of difference in her life. And as she was telling me the story, and by the way, I met her in a social situation, but as she was telling me the story, I thought to myself, somehow this, what most people would consider normal sensory stimuli, somehow just is just too much for her. It overloads her. Yes. yes. And I've, yes. I've got adult friends who have to wear their underwear inside out so that they don't feel the seams. They have to cut tags out of yes. clothes. They, If there's the seam on their socks are not lined up exactly right, they can't tolerate it. Um, all kinds of things. And this is also likely to be the kid that insists that you cut the sandwich in a perfect two by four. Uh, And, and, (laughs) you know, they don't have a ruler out, but they know when you've got it right and when you don't. Um, Great movie is called Temple Grandin, uh, which is the true story of a woman who has become quite famous. Um, But she she is autistic, as it used to be called, when uh, she was born in the 40s before we had these diagnoses. And so she struggled through all of this stuff. But the movie is wonderful in helping others to understand what it was like for her to struggle through these sensory problems when she was young. Um, She's also written a book called The Autistic Brain that talks about sensory problems in general and, of course, with uh, uh, an adult or a child who has the extreme of sensory processing problems, and that would be autism. I was just going to ask you that. I believe that some people think that autism is equal to sensory processing disorder, and you're saying no, that it is merely the the on the spectrum, it's the greatest. Yes. So okay. if you look at the continuum, you'll have sensory issues on the mild side going all the way to the far side, which is autism. But understand that virtually everybody with autism has sensory problems. 
because that's how continuums work. But many people with sensory problems, many, many, many people with sensory problems do not have autism and, in fact, outgrow or learn to cope with the sensory issues so that they're not a problem anymore. Yes, see, and I think that distinction is so important because we don't always get it, Mm -hmm. Uh, that those two things are, one can exist without the other basically mm-hmm. yes and and honestly i if parents are listening to this i would hope that it would encourage you that if you can get the breastfeeding squared away you are doing something that is therapeutic for the processing problems whenever we help a, a person with a disorder to um be able to tolerate that which is what we would consider to be normal, we are also providing therapy for them and helping them to get to a place that is uh, more easily navigated as they grow. Mm, Easily navigated. Love that term. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm here today with Nancy Williams. We are talking about sensory processing disorder. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This would be a good time for me to help you to remember that if you didn't get everything in this show, or if you're looking for other shows, go to MarieBianCuso.com, and that is M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. Sorry, it's my name. It's just, (laughs) it's not easy. But if you can spell it, in fact, if you can almost spell it, Google will get you the rest of the way. But uh, there I have hundreds of podcasts, hundreds of uh, blog posts, way more stuff for you. But today uh, we're really talking here with Nancy about these sensory processing disorders. So, Nancy, we left off and you were talking about the idea that if you can get the baby squared away, nice phrase there, with with breastfeeding, that it will be helpful to, I liked your word, navigate Uh, the rest of his tasks. Talk to us a little bit more about that, if you would, please. Well, first of all, if if, uh, somebody does not have a skill set to be able to deal with this, I'm a big believer in adding to the team to referral, but not dumping the client, Uh uh, helping her to be able to, uh, the parents have to navigate too. So helping the parents to learn to navigate with all of this. But I think the most important thing I can tell you is that occupational therapy is virtually a must here. Okay. So uh, using cranial sacral therapy, using all kinds of things to help the baby to um, be as whole and healthy neurologically as possible. Uh, But we found occupational therapy to be so important because they gave us a list of things to do with the new baby, but also as they treated the bigger boys. And that included things like a blanket swing. Um, Ah. It's really interesting that when an older child has a problem with sensory processing, they tend to benefit from the things that make uh, a more average person kind of crazy. For instance, if I were to get on a swing and turn around and around and around 360 degrees over and over, I would be so dizzy, I'd be nauseous. Yes, Kids with sensory problems often benefit from that. It makes them feel better. It makes them feel centered. They don't experience the the unpleasantness that I 
experience and so forth. Um, so doing a blanket swing, which is where you you put the baby in a large blanket and um, fold the corners up so that it becomes a handle for you. And oh, then mm-hmm. you swing the baby from head to toe, not sideways, but from head to toe. Um, <clears throat> flex swaddling, which is exactly what it sounds like. Repetitive sounds can be helpful. Things like Hmm. that. Um, Using a finger for a pacifier. These babies, I am absolutely convinced, and I have not seen any research to prove this, but my experience is these babies are much more vulnerable to what we have called nipple confusion. Oh, they can't go back and forth very easily from a rubber nipple to a human nipple. And so even a pacifier can cause breast refusal because it's so different and they don't know what to make of it and how to adjust. Uh, Then an OT can help uh, teach parents oral stimulation right before the baby goes to breast, um, uh, taking a washcloth and stimulating the gums, um, being careful never to cross the midline, but just kind of rubbing it across the right side of the bottom gum, the right side of the top gum and then moving to the left side and repeating and then there's a thing called jaw compressions which I can't describe very well over (laughs) without pictures Okay, Um, but an OT would be able to help with that and and massage therapy can be really helpful oh yeah Mm -hmm. and a good masseuse or masseur can uh, help a parent to learn how to do this themselves at home in a way that will be therapeutic for the baby. And then it's really important <clears throat> that parents, I think this is true with any baby, but it's accentuated by quite a bit with these babies. Parents need to work on developing synchrony with the baby. Uh, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that the parents need to watch the baby's cues, follow what the baby is doing, and, and move into the baby's space rather than expecting the baby to... To move into their space. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So babies will show signs when it's not going well and when they're not in sync. Um, they look overloaded, and so sometimes they will shut their eyes tight so that they don't have to look at us anymore, <laughs> so that they can shut out all the visual stimuli. Uh, sometimes they'll just look away. And, you know, in human interaction, we tend to do a lot of gazing and eye-to-eye contact, but yes. even when we're in love and we we can't get enough of the other set of eyes, um, we still take a break every now and then, even just for half a second, and we'll look yes. away, and then we return. Well, if a baby takes the break and stays in the break and won't look at us again then he's probably trying to cope with uh, us being a little intrusive. Um, They'll also splay their fingers. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. You've seen that, I'm sure. Uh, Many times, yes. 
um, that can be a sign that they're they're really struggling, that things are too much for them. And of course, they'll turn their body away, they'll arch, they'll do all kinds of things to get away when they can't really get away because they're in our arms or whatever. And then there's the baby that just shuts down, goes yes. to sleep, uh, won't engage even when they're awake, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, parents learning how to let the baby lead the dance and mm-hmm. follow the baby's steps. Uh, again, I think this is important in every parent-baby dance, but particularly it's it's just crucial with these babies if parents want to help them to be able to adjust to extra uterine life. Nancy, I have sometimes, many times, I have seen babies who are crying, they appear hungry, maybe over hungry, they get up to the breast and they just do nothing. It's like somebody flipped a switch. Yep. They just, they do nothing. Uh, There certainly could be some anatomical uh, uh, explanations. There could be all sorts of explanations, but you're telling me that, in fact, uh, the sensory issue could be one possible explanation. Yes. Now, many babies will do that if they've had failures at breast before. Maybe they have a very serious tongue tie and they just can't the breast in and and extract milk so if they've had failures repeated failures or um, if they've had a lot of exposure to rubber nipples as their first feeds um, they may do that because they don't know what else to do to do yes i'm talking about the baby who we've ruled all that out out yep Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah we know that anatomically things are okay. We know that the milk is flowing. We know uh, the baby hasn't had rubber nipples, etc. Now we've still got a baby that does this, which, by the way, I think is every parent's nightmare. It's very frustrating. <laughs> Um, as you know, being a nurse, it's very frustrating when you try to feed your baby and everybody around you is yelling, oh, he's going to starve to death. And, oh, yeah. He's <laughs> not having diapers and we can't let you go home because he's not nursing and all these all things, mm-hmm. which may be, in, at least in some cases, proper management, but only adds to the parent's height, already heightened fears because the baby's not doing well at breast. Nancy, you mentioned uh, the occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the craniosacral therapist. And by the way, we did uh, 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 an interview on that about a year ago. And you, yeah, yeah, we did. We also did an interview with a massage therapist and she talked about exactly what you're saying, (laughs) teaching the parents how to do it themselves. So there's some really good resources just of those three that you just mentioned. I wanted to ask you though, is it ever too early to bring your kid to an occupational therapist? Well, that depends on if you want them to breastfeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Again, if you've tried everything else, 
sometimes we learn this by process of elimination. I, I, I certainly wouldn't be rushing out on day two, but if you've been working and working and you've done the craniosacral and you've um, done everything else that you usually do, in my thinking, what's the harm Because this baby has to eat. And if you start feeding him by bottles and uh, he's got these problems, you may exacerbate the problems at breast. Um, So the baby has to eat and we need to get some help. And maybe before going to the OT, you would want to read about some of the things that I was just talking about and how to do kind of some home treatment and see if that helps. But from for my thinking, what's the downside in going? Sure. Uh, well, yes, it's expensive. There's that. Sure. Um, but, but to me, if, if there's any possibility of helping, and what we know about sensory problems at every stage of the continuum, and of course you're not going to know that the baby has autism at this point in time, but at Every stage of the continuum, what we know is that early intervention is better. Absolutely. So I, I'm also just thinking. Of going? <laughs> right. I'm also thinking that I have had literally thousands, and I'm talking thousands, of international board certified lactation consultants come through my course over the because I teach a sure. 90 hour yeah. prep course. I could count on the fingers of one hand the number of participants who have been occupational therapists. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this sort of encourages me to help them to realize that they have a, a skill set here where uh, they could contribute something in a way that people like me could not. So, Nancy, before we go today, could you give people, you've given several Excellent tips here, but could you give people uh, some other resources? You talked about the movie, The Temple Grandin. You talked about the autistic brain, which is a book. What other resources, websites, whatever, could you suggest that people go to to look at for help? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, you also talked about OTs um, not necessarily being trained in lactation issues. And it is important. I'm really glad you reminded me about that. It is important that the parents do everything they can to find somebody who understands the breastfeeding baby, because that is a different animal, if you will, from the bottle feeding baby. (laughs) It is. <clears throat> Any information by Wolf and Glass will be Oh, helpful. yes. Those yes. Two authors and speakers, and they have uh, really worked hard at uh, learning how to wed occupational therapy and lactation. One of them um, came to my course, by the way. Oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> yes. so, and, see, and, they've worked hard. It, yes, indeed. Yes. Um, Catherine Watson Jenna has a oh, book yeah. mm-hmm. at, uh, teaching neonates to suck, I believe. Yes, it is. And, uh-huh. uh, 
To my knowledge, it is the only book out there for parents and lactation professionals that includes an entire chapter on this and talks about some of the things that parents can do to prepare the baby to go to breast and uh, organize him a little bit better so that he'll be more likely to be successful. So her book is excellent. Um, For an older child, The Out of Sync Child is an Mm. older book now, but really helpful in understanding just kind of the basic issues that these kids struggle with and how to help them through it. Um, And that's Out of Sync, S-Y-N-C. Okay. Uh, and I can't think of the author's name right off the top. Uh, okay, we'll find it and we'll put it on the website. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll do a blog post and I will be sure to, to uh, give that as a link. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so those would be my favorite resources off the Excellent. Excellent. This hour has gone much, much too fast, as it usually does. There's so much to cover. But it has been a great, very enlightening day today with uh, Nancy Williams. She has helped us to understand that this problem is not going to magically go away. We, as parents and as providers, need to be uh, in tune to that. So thank you, Nancy. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Marie. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad. Meanwhile, everybody, stay tuned. There's more to come every single week. We will have uh, topics of interest about you and your baby, and we'll encourage you to remember that your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 